The San Francisco Dance Film Festival presents Dancing Through the Lens, a bi-monthly podcast featuring guests from our dance and filmmaking communities who share their interests, insights, and methods of creation and connection. I'm Claire Schweitzer. We are thrilled to introduce our new co-host, Chris Ouellette, on this week's episode of Dancing Through the Lens. Chris's unique path in dance includes training at San Francisco Ballet, performing internationally with the Ballet Trocadero de Monte Carlo, and acting as a company manager for Axis Dance Company. Chris and I spoke about his first encounter with dance film, his work with accessibility in dance, and how some of our audience may already have a picture with him. Chris Willette. Welcome to Dancing Through the Lens. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So stoked to have you on the show this year. Really, really looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to, to be here with you. I really enjoy it a lot. So for those of you who haven't heard Chris's first interview, it is on our feed right now with Morgan Bullock. It is a fantastic listen, and it really does attest to what an asset Chris is to this show. You have actually been a friend of San Francisco Dance Film Festival for quite some time now. So what are some ways that our audience may already know you? Um, yeah, so I'm a San Francisco native. Um, so I've seen a lot of San Francisco Dance Film Fest um, just since its beginnings. Um, I was in San Francisco Dance Film Festival uh, in the documentary Rebels on Point, which they followed us on tour when I was with Ballet Trocadero. That was in 2017 is when that film premiered the festival. Um, so I participated as a, a dancer back then in the company. I was in that film. And then um, for Freddie Mercury, um, there was a theme night and I got called and I dressed up in drag as Freddie Mercury in one of his music videos. So I had, you know, a wig and the iconic mustache and, you know, all of that. So I've, I've been around um, and seen a lot of San Francisco Dance Film Fest as well as supported my friends' films in the festival as well, which was really great to see. Absolutely, absolutely. So some of you may have already um, unwittingly taken a picture with. Maybe, yeah, yeah. It looked different then, but you know, it's one of my one of my guys's. Oh, fantastic, fantastic! Now you have such a multifaceted path as a dance artist, and you already mentioned you grew up in San Francisco. You trained at San Francisco Ballet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm very interested as to how your dance training or how your dance path goes from training at San Francisco Ballet School to the trucks. Yeah. So actually my first introduction to dance or ballet was through film. So um, the first time I ever saw ballet was um, San Francisco Ballet's production of Cinderella. And it was put on by Great Performances and presented by KQED. Um, and the hosts of that were actually Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. So very, very influential on a child, um, you know, to see to see them be the hosts of this production. So I was two years old and um, my mom put it on the television and it was something I watched every day, multiple times a day. Like when it was done, the VHS was like rewinded and we started it all over again. So <laughs> my introduction to ballet was through film. Um, so ever since that age, I wanted to be a ballet dancer. Um, so I would dance everywhere, 
all over the living room, you know, families. And um, it was through my elementary school that the Dance in Schools program from San Francisco Ballet School um, came and they saw my interest and I was accepted into the school where I trained for uh, 14 years. Yeah. And so you trained through the San Francisco Ballet School, which is, I mean, even at any age is very intensive training, especially when you get uh, get older and really, you know, become professionalized at a very, very young age. So how did you, well, first of all, did you actually start point work when you were at San Francisco Ballet? I did not. So um, point work, I think, for um, males has now just become more popular um, recently. Um, but it wasn't very much back when I was training. Um, classes were very um, specific to gender, so male and female, and that's how we were trained. Um, and Trocadero has been around for like 44 years, I believe now, probably maybe even more. Um, so they've been around, but it just wasn't something that um, was incorporated in our training. So I didn't get to learn point or do any of that till much later in my career, although it was something that I always wanted to do um, and something that you kind of did with your friends, you know, in between classes, and you try your, you know, your girlfriend's point shoes on, and you just play around a bit, um, but it's not something that was really taken seriously um, growing up, yeah, until much later. Well, it's hard to actually, like, you know, train in point work. How do you even crash course point work? Yeah, it, well, it pretty much was they taught us the choreography um, later when I, when I did start to work with the trucks. And then they're like, okay, now you put your shoes on. And it pretty much is like, well, you have to do it. So you just really, you, you are diving in and you just go for it. And, um, of course, it's practiced safely and, you know, um, those things as well. Um, and it's just interesting and surprising all the things that your body just knows to do through ballet training um, that will get you onto your box and things like that. I mean, of course, to train is, is ideal, but um, your body knows after how many years of doing this um, this craft, you know, what it needs to do so you can accomplish point work. Now, the Trocaderos are very well known. They're very well established. And, I mean, obviously, they have an incredible intense touring schedule. And I'd imagine that intensity is not just limited to learning learning the rep and performing the rep. There is a sense of almost almost like you're building like a constructed persona or like several constructed personas that exist somewhat on the stage and somewhat off the stage. Can you elaborate on the challenges of that? Sure. Yeah. So um, everybody in Trocadero gets two personas. So they get a ballerina persona and then they get a dancer persona um, or the male ballet dancers. Um, so my name was Coletta Day and she was French and um, I was raised in the opera house by rats, and uh, and that was my backstory. <laughs> and um, my female, uh, my male name, I think I was Marat Legupski, and um, I was a part of the Legupski brothers, who are actually not even related. Um, <laughs> so those are just some um, some jokes, you know, that we have in our names, and um, they're both essentially me. Um, so. So it's me performing ballet, and on top of that, it's the role that I'm playing, but then also as my character that's playing that role. 
So mm-hmm. there are many layers um, that are going into this um, performing with Trocadero. Um, but you definitely get to explore maybe the softer, more feminine um, movements and uh, qualities that you have in your dancing that you normally maybe don't get to express when you're just a professional ballet dancer in a traditional company. Um, so that was wonderful to just explore those and see these um, these textures that were always just inside of me that are now getting to be on stage. That was just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And, um, and to get to do them there, you know, with with an audience and just, it just is a magic it's magical and I I know that when I was two years old and I was watching Cinderella I wanted to be a ballerina you know <laughs> I wanted to be a ballet dancer but I was like I want to be a ballerina so this was something that was getting fulfilled you know like 20 years later um so that's just an incredible thing um but also dancing as a male dancer with Trocadero you're making a commentary as well So we're not just dancing as males, we're dancing on what are we saying about this gender in ballet and what is put on this gender in ballet. So we we definitely like to flip it a few things. You know, the the Swan Queen is not, you know, um, helpless, you know, and needing to be saved. And the prince is not always gallant and, you know, strong. You know, sometimes he's a... He's a little wuss, you know, you know, and mm-hmm. um, it's really fun to play with these stereotypes and breaking them down and, you know, and it just is really powerful. And I think it was really great to share that um, with the world and through comedy, because I, I find that comedy is a great way where people get to express the truth, um, mm-hmm. but it, it takes down a, a barrier through laughter. Absolutely. Absolutely. And comedy in, I mean, comedy in anything is very difficult and honestly, very, yeah, yeah, very. And I think that's why we don't, we, we definitely don't see it a lot in dance film and it hardly see it in dance either, but there's a fine line because what you're doing when you're performing on stage, you're not necessarily doing slapstick. There's technique there. There's real dancing there, but there's sort of this management of not being the joke, but like letting the humor communicate through. I'm very interested in how that would resonate with different audiences, especially traveling and performing in so many different places. Yeah, yeah, totally. Certain audiences are very boisterous in how they support the trucks. Um, it's it's kind of like a rock show. You know, people know what the show is going to be. They know what they're going to get. Um, so you'll have people that will start applauding as soon as the first swan comes out <laughs> in Swan Lake. You know, or you'll be in another country, like I think France, they were very quiet the whole show. And it's not until the curtain at the end that they like gave you a standing ovation. And and I'm like, okay, well, you liked our show. Like we had no idea. It just depends like where you are and how certain cultures watch ballet or comedy. Japan, they're huge fans of Trocadero. Like they, they follow you for years and at the end of the show they come and they bring gifts on the stage and there's a certain part in the bow where like they're welcome to come up it's just it, it's just it's a whole culture there and we have merch there oh they make God. they make they make like our own merch so um <laughs> yeah so they just love love it so much so it's really wonderful to see that everybody's embracing this queer type of dance you know 
But I'd like to um, talk about your transition um, as a dance artist. And I always like to say a dance artist is not just, you know, the person you see on stage or the person creating the work on stage. They really are the people who help, you know, help this art in whatever way they can. So at the present moment, you are the company manager of Axis Dance Company. Can you talk about um, your shift from performing on stage to helping choreograph the action perhaps that the audience doesn't see? Sure. Um, so my dance career kind of ended um, due to injury, which everybody experiences. And, um, you know, hopefully you don't have a career ending injury, um, but injuries are just part of, of dance. I had a knee surgery and moved back to San Francisco and was cover- recovering doing that. I got a call that Axis Dance Company just needed some support in their end of the year campaign. Um, so I started helping with admin work and um, helping launch that and making sure that that went smoothly. I love the organization. I really thoroughly enjoyed seeing everybody just dance on stage. They put on this incredible production of Alice in California Land um, by Arthur Pita, which... Amazing show. Yeah, striking show. Um, It was at Z Space. The production was a huge value. Um, The dancing was just so imaginative and creative and performers are beautiful so um I really got pulled in through that eventually they told me well you know we're looking for a company manager and it probably had to do with my touring experience with Trocadero and just being able to navigate through that and organize that with with little training just it just being my life for the past five years um so that's the role I now play with Axis Dance Company it's difficult for someone who hasn't been on a performance tour to communicate, or at least to communicate to someone who hasn't been on that, just how stressful that is. I mean, obviously, travel's its own stressor. Totally. But the pressures on the body, and like especially when you're being expected to perform after sitting for so long. Right. Like eight hours, you get off, you get on a bus for another four hours. You know, there are a lot of things, or there's, there's a total time change, you know, a time zone change. Um, so that in itself is, yeah, extremely exhausting. And then you're supposed to perform your top notch and give a great show. So it's really making sure that both of those things get done and accomplished, you know, when you're there to do what you want to show you can. Access themselves are huge trailblazers when it comes to expanding uh, accessibility for dance, for participation in dance and conversations around dance. And what have you learned about with regards to accessibility and what um, what blind spots do you see, especially when it comes to touring and you know na- navigating those logistics? Sure. Um, so Axis Dance Company is a dance company of disabled and non-disabled dancers. So we're an integrated dance company. Um, we've found that more people... Um, experience disability or are disabled um, than we could think of. Um, So statistically, like 75% of people will become disabled. And that is due to age or they're born this way. The world often doesn't make itself available to people with disability. So that's really something that we are striving for um, and to opening people's eyes towards. And obviously that is including dance and that dance can be available to people with disability. Um, So that's why we have disabled uh, members in our company, wheelchair users, people with canes, um, limb difference um, as well. Um, And it's just a really amazing company to have these people shine and show 
like how incredible dancers they are. So Axis on its own is just an incredible company. And so it's now bringing our mission and what we can do um, to venues that we go to. Um, how is your venue accessible to us? Um, your backstage areas, dressing rooms, um, how we get to the stage, if we need to get off of this stage. Um, normally people think about um, ADA areas in the front of house so audience members can come. Um, but also now it's like, how do you make your area backstage accessible for performers that have disability? Um, so one thing we're starting to do now is send ahead to the venues if they can maybe send a video of where we'll be going. So that helps us know, okay, this is this will work, this will not work. Um, and we really just try to work with our presenters about um, if you if you want would like us to show up and perform for you, maybe you can help with a ramp or you know um, a restroom that's close enough, you know, that we can get to easily. Um, that's so important, not only when it comes to uh, performances, but also when it comes to film sets. Uh, not only how is the space around there navigated, but also how are you framing the performers? Who is really um, who really has the voices when it comes to navigating these artistic decisions, which at times can become very, very checklisty, very checklist-like. Yeah. Um, our last home season here in San Francisco, Mark Brew choreographed Roots Above Ground. Um, so in that performance, we incorporated ASL, we incorporated captioning. And so we just made sure that anybody that came to see that show was was able to participate um, as an audience member. We also made sure that we had audio description. So if someone were come to our show and they were low vision, um, there's someone actually sitting in the back of the house with a mic with a microphone, and they're just audio describing the dancing that's going on on stage. Um, so you could hear in real time what the, what the dancers are doing and how they're performing. And that audio describer would come in for a couple rehearsals. So they would rehearse with the company as well. So they would know with the music, okay, now I'm going to say this dancer picks this other dancer up and lifts them and turns them and puts them back down. And these three in the back are moving in unison. And so, yeah, that's, that's, awesome. that's all very choreographed as well. So, yeah. Well, Chris, this has been a wonderful conversation and um, just it's so incredible to hear about your wide ranging journey as a dance artist, both from, you know, training to being on stage to helping out with uh, the logistics. Is there anything that you see in your future that you'd like to tackle? I think I just want to keep the conversation going. Dance, of course, is my heart and my passion and making dance accessible for everybody. Um, but the conversation of opening that outside of dance, so spaces that, you know, um, a rehearsal space or a theater space or a community center and keeping art accessible to everybody, I think is very important because art has so much power and can say so many things and everybody deserves the right to accessible art. Chris, we are so thrilled to have you on board this season. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dancing Through the Lens. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review it on your preferred podcasting platform and make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. We would also love to hear your thoughts and ideas for the show. You can send them to the contact form linked in the show notes. Encore Shorts is a new series from the San Francisco Dance Film Festival 
highlighting selections from our 2021 edition. The free bi-monthly series spotlights one film at a time, inviting you to deep dive into a film and the talented creative team behind it. A subscription link for the series can be found in the show notes. Dancing Through the Lens is a production of the San Francisco Dance Film Festival. It is produced and hosted by Chris Willette and Claire Schweitzer. Theme music for Dancing Through the Lens was composed by Daria Novo. You can find the San Francisco Dance Film Festival online at sfdancefilmfest.org and in the social media pages linked in the show notes. Mm-hmm.